Managing Marketing, and today I have an opportunity to sit down with Kath Blackham, CEO of Versa Digital Agency, I guess. Welcome, Kath. Thanks for having me. I feel like I know you because I've read so much recently in the media about Versa for your uh, work hours, I guess, is Mm. the best way of putting it, but we'll get to that in a minute. First of all, tell us a little bit about Versa, because when you say digital agency, I've got quite you know, diverse views on what a digital agency could be. What's it mean for you at Versa? So it's an interesting question. Versa for us is, um, is, and a digital agency for us, is all about making people's lives better, basically, by using technology. So um, that might be building out a platform. And when I'm talking about a platform, I mean websites or apps. But it might be also using emerging technology Um, such as voice or augmented reality um, to help a brand engage with their users or consumers in a different way. So that's what um, a digital agency means to us. We do do campaigns, but we're really all about, and dare I use these two very overused words, but digital transformation um, is a very big thing for clients at the moment. And we're really just enabling that, making sure that the platforms that clients are building are built for the future. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if we're sitting here a decade ago, uh, digital was quite a different uh, offering, wasn't it? It really was about things like websites and very early days of apps, but uh, definitely display ads. Yeah, it was completely different then. And I think that the um, digital agencies of today are changing dramatically as technology kind of speeds up. So it used to be that you could kind of get your self across, you know, how to build a banner ad and um, how to build a a website and a couple of different CMSs and that was enough. Um, Now as a digital agency, clients are expecting us to be the ones that understand all the technology and that's AI, augmented reality, virtual reality, you know, websites, CRM, CMS, the acronyms go on and on and on. Um, And we're being expected to understand all of that and help the clients make sense. So that's a lot of pressure on a digital agency that, you know, we're 55 people, but, you know, once upon a time I was five people and that is tough for a five-person agency to do. To be across so much. Yeah. Because that's one of the things about technology, isn't it, is that there's constant evolution and, and, you know, new channels and new platforms and and new protocols and all sorts of things that are coming up all the time. How do you keep across all that? So... Well, maybe not you personally, but the agency... (laughs) So, well, it's, it's actually one and the same. We have two major things that we do. Um, I send my team um, across to the US quite a lot, and that's where our voice agency actually came from as we go to South by Southwest um, every year. We, we make sure that we're um, there when Microsoft and Amazon, et cetera, are doing their um their conferences. So we get a lot of it from just speaking to people at those different conferences and, and understanding where it's at. Someone de- all, sorry, Kath, sorry. but someone describes South by Southwest as the Khan of, uh, of America. You know, yeah, that, look, that's it, where the industry hangs out to yeah. uh, to be seen and, uh, and to be self-congratulated. Uh, yes, look, 
it has a very bad rap, I would say. And um, if I was saying anything to anyone on South by Southwest out there, it would be um, it's what you get out of it. So I built an entire um, successful agency called Versa, um, the voice agency part of our business, out of the fact that I just just out of the fact I went to South by Southwest. So, um, but I'm when I'm at South by Southwest, I'm not only going to the talks, but I'm talking to people. I'm reading between the lines. I'm I'm kind of looking at what everybody's doing, and I'm trying to find. Um, what's happening in the US and kind of applying it back to Australia. Some people just go there and literally drink themselves stupid like they do at Carnon Rosé for, oh, I was um, say, for yeah, four or, days or, straight. You're so, not going to find it there. So you're not hanging out at the Texas barbecue or riding the latest uh, electric scooter around with your... Uh, the designer backpack. Look, I have moments of doing that. I think it's important to have a little bit of fun. Um, I have a fairly large capacity to not sleep at South By, so I can do both. Um, but it's just really important to um, look beyond just the talks and really talk to people that are working in New York, that are working in LA, that are at the kind of cutting edge of whatever their specialism is and finding out. And this year, it was all about augmented reality. In the US, that is absolutely huge. And my pick for the next kind of couple of years is we'll see a resurgence of that. Look, I think, uh, you know, people were pushing VR, virtual reality, yeah. um, really hard. But I think the, the, the bit that stops people really uh, magnifying or amplifying that is the huge headgear that you have yeah. to wear and all the technology. But all of the uh, augmented reality stuff, it all works off your smartphone. Mm. And it's incredibly useful if it's applied properly. I mean, just some of those things that you can walk around you know, for instance, as tourists and get virtually the history just by scanning the, the surroundings to know what's worth looking at or yeah. going to see. So. And it's highly engaging as well. And what was interesting um, at South By this year was the range of products that had augmented reality baked in, and not just from a sight perspective, but also from a hearing perspective. So Bose sunglasses, mm -hmm. um, which retail for about $200, US dollars um, have augmented reality baked into them. So not only do you not have to put, and for anybody that wants a piece of kit that no one else has got, just order them from the US because they actually work. They're sunglasses. The sound quality is amazing. You don't have to They're put both. anything in there. <laughs> you don't have to put anything in your ears. Yeah. But it will also, it knows which way you're turning and it can take you on an entire experience as a tourist without having to take your sunglasses off, without having to put something around your neck, it knows that you're facing forward or you have to turn north, right north or Northwest or exactly. south by south. So I think that those kind of platforms, my pick is that that's going to really take off with some brands. And that is the whole thing about um, why you would go with a digital agency in the first place, back to one of your original questions, is really we make sure that the technology is fit for purpose. So there's so much available now. We are the ones that can help a brand make sense of, okay, you should use that because that makes sense for your brand and that's going to um, help um, you with your relationship with your consumers. It's, it's been interesting, hasn't it, the evolution of the digital agency? Because mm -hmm. I remember, you know, back about 
a decade ago. You know, you had the RGA, which at the time was a production company. You know, they largely did trailers for movies who then got into digital. You had Avenue A Razorfish, mm. who were a design, largely a design company, that were getting into digital. You And Sapient, mm. which was a basically a development company that was getting into marketing. You know, there's been multiple streams that people have come into this. Mm. Uh, what's your stream? Where did you come from that got you into digital? Well, I had never worked in, let alone run, a digital agency before I started at the agency 10 years ago. So I was the head of product at realestate.com.au and the head of product at seek.com.au. So I was very much about building out big digital products. Um, I'll be honest with you, it did not look that hard when I was sitting across the table. Um, it's a little bit harder than I thought, I'll admit that, um, to anyone. But at the time, I really had come out of working on one brand and I really wanted to take all my knowledge and push it across So you'd, you'd been built, involved in building quite significant platforms. Yep. Uh, some would even say ecosystems or marketplaces Correct. for both yep. of those that you then wanted to basically apply to a whole lot of client issues. Yep, absolutely. And I wanted to um, work on a broader range. So I think that's why um, agencies are able to attract really good talent that sometimes client side, despite their budgets, are not able to attract is when you're working on one product for a long time it can it can be pretty hard going sometimes it's hard getting budgets it's hard you know you get knockbacks quite often so it's not I think having been on agency side now I think the agency side think that it's really easy on the other side of the fence as well and they don't see all this blood sweat and tears that goes into getting budgets to be able to do the work it is an absolute privilege, I think, as an agency, as someone working in an agency, to be able to come in with this budget that this person that works for a brand has worked for possibly a year to get and be able to realise that dream with them. And that's what I, that's why I started. That's um, what gets you up the in the agency. morning every day. It is. I love it. So I don't think I could ever go back. I mean, never say never, but I can't ever imagine going back into a client side after working in an agency? Well, there's this trend, especially in the US, with uh, clients taking agency in-house. And it's a real issue because, you know, and you've flagged it, when you work for a particular company, one of the things that's lacking is that sort of diversity of mm -hmm. input, the diversity of challenge, and also diversity of cultures that you work with. Yeah that actually stimulate both the creative process and innovation, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I think that one of the reasons that you go with an agency is you're kind of buying experience. So if you um, bring an agency inside, inside your business, by definition, they stop learning from all the other clients that they're working with and all the other um, agencies that they have exposure to. Every single time we bring someone new into our agency, I'm excited because I've got all these other learnings from different projects that we can apply to the existing clients that we have. As soon as you bring somebody, um, a, an agency in-house, 
to a large extent, that goes away. You still can bring in those people, but you're just not on a daily basic basis getting access to all of that experience, mm. which I think is a is a shame. I can understand from a fiscal perspective why you would do it, but I think you're kind of missing a trick by um, protecting yourselves. By I can, and I can see from a competitive perspective why it would make sense. But I think allowing your agency to work with other brands and other industries is actually quite a healthy thing. Well, because they're getting exposure mm. to a whole lot of different problems and it's actually that cross-pollination yeah. where it works really well. You know, solving one problem over here could give you an insight into an opportunity for another client, couldn't it? Exactly. And we do that every day. So every day there's a, oh, this worked here, maybe we could apply it to... Um, this project, but in a slightly different way. Um, and it also means that from a coding perspective, you end up with better and better code because you, the people that you're dealing with have got more and more experience in, for example, the e-commerce space. You know, it doesn't matter. You might be in a completely different industry, but e-commerce is e-commerce. So you get better and better at that shopping cart experience. And that's what you want from an agency is a specialist. Again, mm. it comes back to that idea of being a specialist and augmenting your team and allowing you to have the access to that kind of uh, specialism. But also because particularly you're updating your team's knowledge and skills by, as you mentioned earlier, giving them exposure to thought leadership in the US as well. Yeah. And one of the other things that um, we do that is actually, um, I haven't come across another Australian agency that do this, but is important to us is that we do this exchange program with other agencies, particularly in the US, but we've done it with um, in the Netherlands and in the UK as well, where we send people over to spend time in other leading agencies around the world, digital agencies around the world, and then they come back to us. So we do this kind of um, I've got a lot of friends all around the world that run agencies um, and so we do the swap and that allows, um, it's great for retention as you can imagine, but it's also good for bringing ideas back and we're not competitive with them. Um, I always say to even my friends that run agencies here, I could go and sit in an agency for six weeks and see exactly what they do and still not be able to compete with them because mm. our business is all about the people that we have and the case studies that we've, the experience that we've got. And so you don't need to be protective of what you do. If you let people in to see what you're doing, they'll do the same for you and you'll both be better. And that's yeah. good for our industry. I that's think. amazing, actually. I haven't, haven't heard of that happening between agencies. I, no. I know within agency networks yeah. it sometimes happens, but I imagine also having people coming in even for six weeks, yeah. you would get quite a different perspective from them as well. So your own team would be learning from the person that comes to you apart from the one that you've sent to them. Absolutely. So there's all this knowledge sharing of, oh, how do you do that? And it's not at a senior level. It's at a more... Um, at the operational level, which I think is important mm. as well. So I just I think you've got to look at um, how you get information differently. I think conferences have their place, um, but and you pointed out with the South by Southwest, it's a really um, difficult thing with um, particularly more junior staff when they go away to a conference. Sometimes it can feel a bit more like a jolly than actually the content in itself so sometimes doing that um, 
swapping in between agencies is more effective. And look, you touched on it actually, being an independent agency, particularly, a, you know, we're one of the biggest independent digital agencies now in the market, uh, in, yeah. the market in Australia, um, is tough. You know, we're competing against big groups that have got lots of support, they've got cross-selling happening across. Um, and so being able to kind of lean on other independent agencies that are doing great work in other countries has been important for me. Um, yeah. And because you're right, you know, one of the things that the networks, agency networks, but mm. even the big consulting firms will argue with their client is that there's one door. Yep. So that they just come to one agency or one consulting and, and all of their uh, needs and, and requirements will be met yep. and that there's not all of that those issues. Whereas, you know, I guess being a specialist and, and you know, from what you've described, you've created a positioning that's very focused mm. on, you know, utilising these emerging technologies. And there's always going to be emerging technologies. Yeah, there? and look, we do have a specialism, but we also then widen it out to building websites, apps. We do digital campaigns, but we have it with a future forward. So I don't think as a 55-person agency we can afford to be too specialist, but we have that kind of emerging tech story coming through all the other work that we do. So, um, but yeah, it's difficult. I mean... One of the, and we, we don't need to get into the woes of being an independent agency at all, but except to say that it is tough being in a market where you've got pressure from Accenture and Deloitte on one side, and then you have pressure from, you know, often arguably really awesome five or six person agencies, and the client's trying to make sense and you're sitting in the middle. Now, sometimes clients just want independence and that works for us. But it, there's a lot of pressure these days, and I think that um, we've just got to make sure that we keep reinventing ourselves because everybody around us is reinventing themselves and the whole market is reinventing itself all the time. And in that competitive environment, I imagine you know, one of the things you're competing for is talent. Always. So, because you, you've... And I mentioned it earlier that mm. you've been quite um, quite uh, prominent in the media around the four-day working week at Versa. How did that come about and was that part of talent attraction and retention as the strategy or was there something else that motivated that? Um, I think if you go back to when I started the agency 10 years ago, I had two young children, so I kind of started it with this utopian kind of idea of everybody work flexibly um, and that worked for a while to be honest um, and we had I mean I you know one of our guys works two days a week from the office two days a week from home and one day a week he has off alternating between a Wednesday and a Friday so it gets quite complicated as we grew what we found um, and about the seven year mark um, in our evolution the itch, the itch exactly we found that flexibility across the board just wasn't working and we were getting you know a graduate who had literally just come off the back of our internship program saying yeah I think I'll just work four days a week so it was through the whole agency um, so my reason for doing this was to come up with a sustainable model for my industry which is agencies mm -hmm. um, 
I feel very strongly that if we are going to attract talent and keep talent, particularly females, um, as they kind of hit that 28 to 32 and they're starting to think about family, etc., if we're going to keep them, we need to evolve as an industry. We can't have that feeling of, you know, the the ECD or the managing director is sitting in the house, so therefore everybody else just sits there and kind of plays Tetris until they go home. That's not a sustainable model, and people burn out. Um, they goes client side and that is the point that we as an industry lose amazing talent is they go client side because they can get better hours and better pay but they're not getting access to the work and they want to stay or they're going to the big tech companies or they're going to the yeah. consulting it's plenty firms, of options those, unfortunately yeah. well, and that's what that's what i mean it, it's highly competitive it is you know the, yeah. the, there's a limited resource of talent and there are increasing numbers of options yeah because there used to be a time when, you know, going into advertising or, you know, going into agency land was seen as a really positive thing. And yet that's the, a lot of the shine's gone off because of long hours, lower pay than you can earn mm-hmm. elsewhere um, and, and increasingly well, decreasing um, uh, perspective on, you know, the value of it. Yeah, absolutely. And also having access to... Um, I think the advertising agencies versus digital agencies, um, digital agencies are winning, you know, and we've got a really strong internship program and we go toe-to-toe with advertising agencies for great talent all the time. And one of the things that I find is that talent these days is opting for digital, which never would have been the case 10 years ago. They were always wanting to go to the big you know, five or six advertising agencies to start their careers there. Now they're saying, well, actually, I want to start in a digital agency because I want to learn all of this stuff. I might go and work and, and earn, you know, bigger dollars going into the Accentures or I might go um, and work for one of the big advertising agencies, but I'm going to start in digital to get a really good basis. So, Do you think part of that was that the early days of digital was seen as being part of what was called the below the line, you know, that yeah. was a, a direct marketing, um, you know, customer relationship or rather than the brand focus. Yeah, and I th- yes, I think it's all that. And I think it all comes down with um, recent graduates of what's sexy in the marketplace. What can they tell their friends at the pub that they're doing? And I think that there's been a move to um, people seeing technology as something that's quite cool to do and quite interesting and people just aren't watching TV as much as they were. So doing a TVC um, isn't seen as necessarily being having quite the cachet as it used to, even five or six years ago. So that's not, I'm talking generally here. So I've, I am a big proponent in using everything. I think there is a um, a need for above the line. I think there's a need for below the line. I think there's a, a need for everything. Experiential is, I think, really important um, as we kind of um, can't find people in their homes as easily as their media kind of has gone out to platforms that don't even allow advertising. Well, where do you go and get them when they're walking through the supermarket? That's okay. where you find them. Going back to the four-day working yes, week. Yes, my favourite topic. Well, well, and for those people that haven't 
for some reason, you know, they're living in a cave somewhere <laughs> and haven't seen the uh, media coverage. So what you actually have is people work, an av- you know, the average working week. 37.5 hours. Five hours. Yep. But they work it over four days and you've set Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Wednesday's the day. Yep, we close the office on a Wednesday. So yeah. no hump day. No hump day. And don't the journalists love that? (laughs) (laughs) So that's interesting. Was that trial and error or was it just something you decided or? That was just something I decided. I had a, I knew that there was a problem with complete flexibility once we got to a certain size. Um, Because it may make it difficult scheduling things like team meetings and things. Team meetings, client meetings were a nightmare. If you're trying to, you know, we try and get everybody in a room at the start of a um, client relationship so that we can get everyone... Finding a period of two days where everyone is in the office was almost impossible. So I took all the things that were difficult and came up with this idea in, um, I took some time off actually in May, June last year, and that's when I do my thinking when I'm on holiday. Um, So I came back and presented this four-day week concept um, to our leadership team who thought I was completely mental and that we would be dropping our revenues and therefore profit by 20%, um, possibly more. And But I was determined to give something a go. So what the deal that I struck with them is that we would try it for a month. And so we went out. I didn't present to the team. I purposely let the leadership team present it it, because they had to own it because they didn't believe quite as much as I did. Um, And um, the results were staggering. We were more efficient, more productive, um, happier, less sick days. There was just all of this positivity around what we were doing. So... Um, so we then put it to three months so that we could actually then look at some decent figures because a month, as you would know, in agency land, it's not very our numbers long at are all. a little yeah, yeah. Uh, patchy sometimes, yeah. so you need to yes, look at was the this, long... Was this an anomaly? Yeah. yeah, you need to look at the longer trends. And then when we saw really positive results over three months, we uh, pushed it out to... So I started very purposely on the 1st of July So a year will be the 1st of July, so in a couple of weeks. Um, We had planned on waiting until the 1st of July to tell anybody about it, Um, but actually someone came to work for us um, and their wife worked at the ABC and they picked it up as a story and the rest is history. So we didn't go out looking for this PR. And one of the things that I would say about that and the amount of coverage that we've had is it shows me the thirst for innovation in this space. People want to talk about something and they they want to be thinking about it. They just need a couple of different um, types of companies, not just Perpetual New Zealand, but other agencies and other industries to be doing something about it. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, people talk and talk and talk. I love the fact that as an independent yeah. Yeah, and as a business owner, you know, you were able to make this decision and then you got your leadership team, yep. who, yeah, you just said, weren't that on board <laughs> nope. to give it a try and you've actually done it, Yep. right? I mean, yeah, absolute kudos to you Thank for doing you. it. Secondly, um, the fact is that, you know, I've had conversations with lots of people that have, have raised this mm. and said to me, oh, yes, but what happens with public holidays? Because public holidays are always Monday and Friday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
people still get their holidays, I imagine. Yeah, so the the rule is that if there is a, and this week was a good week, are we still in the week that yes, I yeah. think we are? Yeah, um, there was a public holiday. There was a public holiday. So today... At Versa, everybody is in the office. So if the week is a week where we have a public holiday, then you don't have Wednesday off unless there is a specific reason. So if okay. you've got kids to, if you have a regular thing that you've got set up on a Wednesday, then obviously you can work from home for that day. But we don't, we can't, we won't have enough hours in the week if we start to have, and people are more than happy to come in on those odd weeks. So you've even built flexibility into what appears to be a regimented four-day week. Yeah. Well, we have to because really at the end of the day, we're a business um, and I own 100% of it. So I am very motivated to make sure that we, um, that that fiscally it's a, it's good of for course. all of us. So yeah. we, we don't want to Well, if the business something. isn't successful, then there's no future for all 55 no. employees and future employees And we're not investing well. in future growth then either. So I need to make sure that this is highly profitable as well. I want to be a highly profitable agency that is able to invest in its people and other future tech and stuff. And what I particularly like about that, that's something that we do as well, is is you are treating your employees as adults and not children. Yeah. You know, because when we go to school, you have to turn up at nine mm. and here's the break and here's lunch and then you can leave school at this time. That's the way we're taught as children yeah. and treated as children. But you're actually treating your team, your employees, mm. as adults and letting them take responsibility for getting the work done mm. and managing their hours within a framework that makes it workable. Yeah, it makes it workable for clients as well. Yeah. So one of the – and we made it very clear that if it didn't work, we would have to take that uh, the ability to do the four-day week away from the agency again. So um, everybody is very motivated. I, it just comes down to trust. Um, but – we also know that if a client absolutely has to have a meeting on a Wednesday, that's the only day that they can get everybody together, and it does happen, our team are more than happy to do it on a Wednesday. Like, they don't even yeah. hesitate. There's no grumbles. Yeah. There's no... Because they know that with something that they get that is so valuable to them, there has to be compromise sometimes. Yeah, there was a book I read when I started this business called Maverick, and it's actually about a guy who inherited his father's business in South America and it was going badly and he had an epiphany and started treating his employees as adults and allowing them to make more and more decisions and take more and more responsibility and the business started to thrive. And I think that's what I like about this is that, you know, you just said if they have to come on a Monday, oh, on a Wednesday, that people just turn up and do it because they have to do it. There's mm. not this... Um, attitude of, you know, well, you're the employer and we're the employees and, you know, grumble, grumble. Yeah. They actually have bought into the business as being part of their responsibility and yeah. almost have an emotional ownership of it. Yeah, and interestingly, not just employees, clients as well. So we have to spend quite a lot of um, time and all of the PR we got was actually an interesting test for us around because obviously our clients also saw mm. us everywhere. Um, but 
clients need to buy into the fact that the reason that we do it on a Wednesday and not a Monday and Friday is because Wednesday is a rest day. It's not supposed to be go ahead and write yourself off Saturday, Sunday, Monday, come in even worse on a Tuesday. That's not the idea. The idea is that Wednesday is there so that you can rest, reset, and you can be more efficient Thursday, Friday. And once a client gets their head around that and the fact that every, like, a Thursday feels like a Monday, so we have kind of two short weeks that are highly productive, they then start to, they buy into it too. So I've got, you know, clients, I just sat down with a client last week and he was like, look, I want to get a whole team in-house, but let's talk about how does that work because I don't want to muck around with your four-day week. So how do I make make a four-day week work for me in in my company to include you? And I was like, wow, that's awesome that he doesn't just say, well, if they're going to come across to us, they have to work five days a week. He believes in it so much that he's willing to make sacrifices to make it work, mm-hmm. even when the client side. So, Kath, I imagine um, whenever you get publicity, mm-hmm. and you know whether it's mainstream media or social media, it, you're not going to have a hundred percent support. Has there been negativity, which I'd assume there would be? Oh, yeah, there's haters. Oh, so you've got some haters. <laughs> there's haters. Um, yeah, I can't even... Some of the things that have been written, I can't uh, repeat. Right. So, so we'll just put a big B. Yeah, so there's you know, a... Yeah, the lazy beeps. Um, you know, they're, they're, look, people Bizarre, are going to... It is. I, Do you think I, it's because they don't really understand, or it, and it's just a sort of superficial gut reaction that they're having to this? Or no, look, I, I think that um, there is a little bit of um, fear in the in our industry. So I'll just talk about our mm. industry um, because this actually what we're doing has been much more far-reaching than that. But I've got some very good friends that run agencies that are similar size and larger to me. And they are, um, they don't like what I'm doing because once you kind of stick your neck out and start talking about something like this, what the feedback that we've had is obviously, you know, there are some big agencies in Melbourne now where it is right through all their staff. They know what we're doing. They're talking about it. They're trying to find out, you know, is this something that we might be doing? You know, they're really profitable. So it's starting to bring up, things that the companies don't, the agencies don't necessarily want to implement because you've got to, you know, you could argue that I could be 20% more profitable. If I just made everybody work 70-hour weeks, Mm. I would be more profitable, right? I wouldn't have my staff for as long as I do and retention is huge for us Mm. and it's a big selling point. But I think that there is this fear and dislike of the amount of chatter that's happening, not just at a senior level, but actually within the troops of what's what we're doing. Mm. And it's good, but... Because it is one of the issues that the industry faces is mm. burnout. You know, when 
when agencies are charging clients on an hourly basis, if you can get someone to work twice as long, 80 hours a week, yeah. then basically you pay them for the first 40 and then you pocket the next 40. Yep. Now, we see this all the time with you know, particularly high-profile people in a particular agency might be 50% on mm. four different clients and you just wonder how they clone themselves yeah. to do it. Yeah. Well, we know how they do it. They're doing 60, 70 hour weeks um, yeah. regularly. Which is not and healthy. That, and that's not healthy. Um, and my um, selling point, and we're doing incredibly well as an agency and we're, we're very well respected for what we do, is um, we go to clients and say, what's the experience that you've had? Because I'm guessing that you have had maybe four or five different sets of people, whether it be suits whether it be producers in particular is a really big issue across our agency project managers and producers um, the people that actually are building the stuff the designers the coders etc they all go because they're working such long hours at versa we keep people mm -hmm. so our retention is super high because you can't get what we provide anywhere else and it's not just about the four-day week so that creates this experience for clients where I had a client the other day that rang me up. I haven't spoken to her for eight years. The team that worked on her project eight years ago is still with me. Yeah. So I was able to say, awesome, you're ready to rebuild finally. Great. Jace and Andy and all the producer, everybody that you worked with is still there. You can imagine the delight for her so it's possible that she'd been around the traps a bit and then has come back to us and we're, we're still here with the same team. So and the team she knows and, and yeah. you know, comfortable. And, and so also there's a lot of value in that for clients. You pick up speed very quickly because yeah. you know each other yeah. and know your businesses. But so there's a flip side to that that I'm really aware of as well. And I, I do think change is good. So... Um, I also encourage people that want to go, particularly the young ones, because we tend to take people as interns. And I, I think there, there does come a point where you've kind of got to set them free so that they can come back to you. Are you talking about an Amish strategy? You know how the Amish uh, send their teenagers off to have a crazy year and then just uh, decide if they want to come back to the religion? Oh, I think is, that, is, is this becoming like a religion? I think I am saying that I am confident enough to let people go knowing that um, many of them will return with knowledge um, and experience. Mm. You know, a lot of the big agencies, they might work people hard, but they're working on great work. Mm. So you give them access to all of that, and when they're ready, they come back to you. And that has happened to us on numerous occasions. So I'm always happy. I think you need to keep new blood coming in to keep ideas. And I've got a new um, managing director who was at VML YNR, um, and that's been a really good experience for us um, because Johnny has come in with all these preconceptions about how an agency works, and we've taken on, we've shown him a few things and he's shown us a few things. Well, you said it very early on in this conversation, which is, you know, one of the reasons you take the team to um, South by Southwest mm. is to get new ideas, mm -hmm. cross-pollination. Yeah. You do the exchange projects or mm. programs with uh, agencies, independent agencies overseas. It's clear that you've got an understanding 
that ideas come from sharing yeah. and collecting yeah. as much experience as possible. So well done. Thank you very much. I accept that we've run out of time. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed uh, having you come and chat with us. So thank you, Kath Blackham, CEO of Versa Voice Agency, or is it Versa Digital Agency? Uh, Versa Digital Agency. We do, a, we do everything. Okay. So, look, before we go, I've just got a question for you. Yes. And that is, you know, with all this uh, working voice, do you think it's possible that uh, all of our conversations are actually being recorded? Mm-hmm.